0: I'm ready to take the next step. I'm ready for a university that will help me advance in my education and career.
1: A university that will make me feel supported and connected.
0: I'm ready for ODU Online. Click this ad or go to online.odu.edu today. Hello friends and welcome back to another episode of the Sacktown Royalty Show. I'm your host, Tony Zipteris, and joining me on the podcast this week from Sacktown Royalty, Richard Ivanowski. Richard, we got a busy week ahead of us. How are you today?
1: I'm doing great, Tony. Uh, thanks for having me on. I love doing these podcasts, obviously, and trade time is uh, one of my favorite times of year. And I think we got a lot to talk about today.
0: Yeah, it's exciting and it's also pretty exhausting under the last few days especially with the Kristaps Porzingis trade and all all the Anthony Davis stuff breaking like i haven't been able to remove my eyes from my phone and the way things are trending it feels like it's going to be that way for the next 4 or 5 days until february 7th
1: yeah absolutely i i mean that kristaps trade came in so hot it was just like we saw the rumor break and then the trade came in it must have been less than an hour after the The first rumblings, and it was just done, I was in shock for the rest of that day.
0: This might be slightly off-topic for a Kings trade deadline preview podcast, but we should probably talk about the Chris Tapp's porzingis trade for a minute here. Did that seem like a missed opportunity to you? Should the Kings have pursued Chris Tapp's porzingis as hard as the Dallas Mavericks did?
1: So, at first, I didn't have any inclination that the Kings should get involved, because partially... You know, I just feel like KP is such a great player that it would require us breaking up our core to get him. But then you see what the trade was, and you got to feel like we could have gotten involved. I mean, the, the price that Dallas paid for him was so low that it does now kind of feel like a missed opportunity.
0: Yeah, I feel the same way. It's really hard to talk about trades in that way because, you. I mean, we saw what Dallas gave New York. We don't know that New York would have taken a similar package from the Sacramento Kings. We can assume they would have because some of the, you know, the the cap relief and the assets Dallas did give New York seemed like pieces the Kings could have matched. And if that was the case, if the Kings could have given up, you know, you replace uh, DSJ with someone like Buddy Heel or Bogdan Bogdanovich and you do the same trade, otherwise you give up two future firsts. Um, the second one was top 15 protected, so you're really only giving up one lottery pick at most, plus one young player, plus salary relief, and you're getting a, a guy like Kristaps Porzingis who may or may not threaten to take the qualifying offer and not stay long-term, so that's a concern as well. But just the, the price for the talent is exactly the kind of move I would have liked to see the Kings make. So to me, it is one of those missed opportunities, but it's hard to really criticize the Kings here because there's so much behind the scenes in a trade like that that we don't know. Like I mentioned before, like maybe the Knicks just didn't want the Kings package. Um, but, you know, it's another one of those what-ifs in Kings history. A guy like Chris Taps isn't available every day. A uh, 23-year-old all-star who fits the Kings timeline. Um, very rare to see another guy like that hit the market at that price. So for as much as I want to, maybe criticize the Kings for not not jumping on that. It's a, it's a hard one.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, and it would be hard to part with Buddy or Bogey though I do agree that that would beat the DSJ offer.
0: All right, let's talk about the Kings roster here. We'll get into whether we think the Kings will or won't make a move, but there's a lot of chatter already about what the Kings can do. Uh, Zach Lowe dropped a really in-depth trade deadline piece this morning that kind of shook things up as far as how I'm thinking about how the Kings are going to approach the deadline. But before we get into that, let's kind of break down the roster. And uh, I had a lot of notes for the podcast today, Uh, Well, part of those notes were breaking down kind of where each player and piece of this roster fits into, you know, how likely or unlikely they are to be being traded as we head towards the deadline on the seventh. I have kind of in the uh, super team, just young category, also known as the untouchables to a certain extent. And I have De'Aaron Fox, Buddy Heald, Bogdan Bogdanovich, Marvin Bagley, and Harry Giles in that that category. How does that sound to you?
1: Yeah, I agree. I think that it would take a massive offer. It would honestly take, you know, a Chris epps Przingis type of target to become available for the Kings to even consider breaking into those five. I suppose Harry Giles is at the bottom of that list, and I wouldn't say that it would be outrageous for, for the Kings to discuss him in a trade if the, if the target was someone who's really going to be uh, a significant positive. But for the most part, and I think for the context that uh, we're talking about right now, as far as realistic trades at this deadline, I I think those five are are safe. They're going to stay in Sacramento.
0: I agree with that. The one name that gave me pause as I was reading Zach Lowe's article this morning is um, Lowe mentioned that, you know, every deadline, the sort of one young player that kind of is available secretly that you you wouldn't have thought was, was available. And then, boom, a trade comes in and he's gone. Um, and in Lowe's article, he mentioned Aaron Gordon as being that guy, because Orlando has Isaac mm-hmm. and Bamba as their kind of front court of the future. And if you think Aaron Gordon's a four and not a three, which that seems to be the case in, in kind of the modern NBA now, um, that's a name that gives me pause. And I would consider trading one of those guys for Aaron Gordon. But I don't know what that deal looks like, and I don't have the uh, brain capacity to, like, formulate a deal after all the basketball stuff I've been reading the past few days but Aaron Gordon is just one name that I'm like eh, maybe I'll dip into that untouchable group depending on what the what the offer would look like
1: interesting because he does fit it seems like what the Kings want as far as explosive a- athletes guys that run the floor and just throw down nasty dogs he, he's kind of like a big version of Zach Levine in some ways mm-hmm. like if you, you see why they were so attracted to Levine and you can see A lot of the same qualities in Gordon, you know, just an explosive dunker, uh, you know, an elite type of athlete, obviously plays a very different position, but I could see some interest there.
0: All right. Next category I had for the roster breakdown is kind of the unlikely to be traded category. Uh, And I, I put these guys under this category for a few different reasons. One, I have Nemanja Bielica here because the Kings just acquired him this summer He fits in well in that starting unit. His spacing that he provides for De'Aaron Fox is very important. Not that he's some untouchable player. I just wouldn't put him in the Kings are you know actively having trade talks for list. The other guys on this list are Justin Jackson, Iman Shumpert, and the two-way contract players Troy Williams and Wenyan Gabriel in that unlikely-to-be-traded category. Do you have any issues with that?
1: No, I don't. I think that Jackson might be the closest to would be the guy that I would consider moving out of that category. Um, it wouldn't surprise me, you know. If I don't think that he's a breaking a deal breaker type of player, I think that if we could get an upgrade, um, you know, we'll talk about other small forward prospects later. But if a guy like Torian Prince was available, it wouldn't surprise me if the Kings would uh, would be happy to let go of, of Jackson in a trade like that.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. I think, you know, Justin Jackson could be moved. But compared to this final list of very much available players, I just think trading Justin Jackson is a lot less likely. And in that available group, I have Costa Kufas, Zach Randolph, Ben McLemore, Yogi Ferrell, Frank Mason, Willie Colley-Stein, and Scalabissier.
1: I completely agree. Um, yeah, Jackson isn't nearly as tradable as those guys. I think that uh, the Kings wouldn't hesitate if they can get value for that last group. Uh, They would hesitate with Jackson, but they're not going to hesitate to, especially Ben and Zebo. I think you could almost create a final category of guys they actively want to trade, and if they don't, they will probably buy out or cut, and you could put Zebo and Ben in that.
0: That's a good point. I I definitely agree with that. I think Willie Cauley-Stein is the only guy here that I— kind of have on the fringe because at different points in the season he has looked more or less available and you know I kind of had to include Mm -hmm. him in this available category after reading again I know I've referenced it two or three times already but Zach Lowe mentioned that the Kings have been quietly shopping Willie Colley Stein or that Willie Colley Stein was available so if that's the case you got to kind of put him as an an available for this roster although you know he's been a big piece of the Kings this season Um, we can debate how important of a piece he's been but I do think he means more to this team than the rest of the players on this available category.
1: If the Kings don't feel like Willie really is in their future, this is the time to recruit value uh, because obviously he's a resistance free agent. So if we get to the summer with him, it's going to become a whole complicated deal where we could end up letting him walk anyway or we could end up overpaying for him. Uh, you know, I think that avoiding that yeah, if they aren't clear that listen, we're going to keep this guy. We're going to pay him a significant salary for the next for multiple years. Then I think they do want to move him in the next five days. But I'm not a mind reader, and I can't say for sure uh, how set they are on that.
0: Final category, uh, not part of the roster breakdown necessarily, but just other assets the Kings have as we headed to the trade deadline. They have 11 million dollars in cap space, the most cap space of any team in the league. That's been talked about a lot around these parts, and for good reason. It's a huge bargaining chip that the Kings have that nobody else has. They have nine second-round picks over the next three drafts, um, including three in the 2019 draft. I think there's no way the Kings hold nine second-round players over the next three years, and an even less likely chance that they hold three of them after the 2019 draft. So between now and the draft, it seems extremely likely that some of those second-round picks get moved. Uh, and then we have future first-round picks that can trade. They can trade their 2021 first-round pick, which is exactly what Dallas did when they traded for Chris Porzingis. So the Kings can't trade their 2019 pick because they don't own it, but they can trade future first-round picks.
1: Yeah, um, Tim Maxwell wrote an awesome piece, uh, just came out today on Sacktown Royalty, really detailing all of these assets. Um, he breaks down all the expiring contracts, all the second round picks you know, all the picks that we have rights to, as well as some of those players that we discussed as being uh, likely to be moved or at least uh, very much available for the right price. So I'd go check that out if uh, if you want to see exactly whose picks we own for the second rounders. But those second rounders and the cap space definitely jump out as things that, they need to be utilized uh, or they're going to need to be kind of lost. Um, Obviously a second round pick isn't lost. You do end up taking a player, but there's a point of diminishing returns here where, like you said, we have nine second rounders in the next three drafts and we can't have those nine players on our team. It it just doesn't make sense. So sure. We can can do our best to kind of kick that can down the road uh, like we did with the uh, trade to Portland over this last draft, where you basically just, all right, you take this second rounder, give us two future second rounders, or you take this one late second rounder and give us your second rounder next year and and kind of, kind of t- keep trying to push those down the road. But, you know, really that's not accomplishing much of anything. Um, and eventually we're going to grab players or – rights to euros who aren't going to come over yet and they may just turn into into nothing so you know at this point we also don't really want to add second rounders which is kind of um kind of limits us in what we can do Uh, i don't think that if someone's offering us a 2019 second rounder it really is just a drop in the bucket at this point
0: yeah and if you look at guys like uh kosti or Someone like Frank Mason or Scalabusier, those are prime targets for some other team to pay a second round pick, like some kind of a nothing throwaway Mm -hmm. thing to get the Kings. And like you said, they have three already in 2019, so they do sort of lose value in trades like that. Definitely worth noting. All right, now that we've kind of set the table for what the Kings can offer other teams, what should the Kings be looking for back? What should be their goals heading into the deadline?
1: So there's two main types of trades that the Kings should be considering. Um, And, you know, the first one is just adding talent, addressing a need. And that could be backup point guard. That could be someone hopefully to start on the wing at small forward or at least a rotation player there or to go uh, with the rebounding problems, the rim protection problems. We actually do have a lot of needs there, but I put that as one category, basically, you know, adding talent for a playoff push. And the second category would be adding an asset for the future, ideally a first rounder, trying to turn this cap space and this huge stockpile of second round picks into a first. That would be uh, a major goal. And then I guess the ultimate goal would be some kind of combination of both where we're getting better for the present and hopefully creating an opportunity for the future as well.
0: My goal for the, the Kings heading into the deadline is kind of basic. And, and to call this a goal, um, like, I don't know. First goal sounds like something that you kind of have to strive for. And, and all I'm really hoping for is the bare minimum, which is using that 11 million in cap space. Because, you know, we sort of held off criticism of Vlade this summer because he held that chip at 11 million in cap space. Like, you know, we can't grade the offseason yet because he hasn't used all the cap space. Well, you know, he has five days left to use that $11 million in cap space. If he doesn't use it now, it's virtually useless. I mean, you could hold it to the draft and maybe do something there. Um, So maybe we'll have to, you know, push our criticism back another few months. But this is really the time to get some value out of what you didn't get value out of this summer in free agency. And because the Kings are in this middle ground where, you know, they could go either way. They could go get a, a veteran and compete, or they can accept bad salary and take a pick. They can do either one because they're better than anyone expected and their roster is still very young. So they can continue building young players for the future or get some veterans and see how far they can get this year. There should be no excuses. You should find a way to use that $11 million in cap space considering all the options the Kings have. A lot of teams can only go one way or the other. They are uh, a bad team. They're trying to tank. They'll sell their players off. They'll get bad mm-hmm. contracts back. They'll get young... They'll get picks in the process. If you have uh, playoff contenders who are trying to get better, they can only go one way. They can use their draft assets to go get a veteran that will help them in their playoff push. The Kings in that rare, rare opportunity to do either one, and if they sit here and they do nothing, and they sit on their $11 million, uh, to me that would be a, a pretty big failure, not only heading into the trade deadline, but a failure of the, of the offseason that we just saw where the Kings only signed Yogi Ferrell and Nemanja Bielitsa despite trying to sign other players like Zach Levine and Mario Hazonia and coming up short. Uh, in hindsight, it was actually probably a, a good thing that they didn't sign either player because Levine has not lived up to his contract and Hazonia has been basically nothing in uh, in New York this year. But I don't think this is a trade deadline that Vladi can afford to sit out, both for his own job security and for the best interest of the Sacramento Kings moving forward. You have to start taking advantage of opportunities, and this is another opportunity. The Kings have cap space available. They have second round picks to move. They have expiring contracts to move. There are players out there. Um, Are you with me in this line of thinking? Like, Do you think the Kings can afford, and and maybe more specifically, Vlade can afford to sit out the trade deadline this year and not really do anything? Do you think that's a possibility?
1: Uh, I don't think it's a likelihood, but I do think it's... A possibility um, and it's one that is a little bit scary it, it, it would really be a failure to not use all the tools at your disposal and it would show an inability to effectively manage the cap uh, and, and manage free agency uh, but there's something to be said for you know when things are going right you kind of don't want to mess it up and I kind of I can kind of relate to this in a weird way. This is going to be this is going to be a weird metaphor, but I'm a very conservative gambler. So you know, say you know when I'm going to when I go to the casino with my buddies, which is very rare, I'll go in and I'll say something like you know I'm only going to gamble this amount of money, and I'll literally place one bet, and if that bet wins and I'll and I'm up, I'm just like cashing out and I'll go to the buffet and I'll just have a nice meal for free. And that feels like a win for me. And I just will walk away like I don't need to risk anything. And I wonder if in some way that's the mentality with the Kings right now where, hey, we're up. Like we this season is a win. We did far better than anyone expected us to. We're gonna have, you know, fingers crossed, in all likelihood, we're gonna have the best record that we've had in A decade um, let's not rock the boat too much you know I I that's what I worry about being the mentality because obviously I would never take that mentality to you know a a million dollar franchise in a a billion dollar sport and Mm -hmm. um, you know try to compare the two but I do I do wonder if basically just a little bit afraid of not knowing you know who is responsible for what amount of success where if we pull this guy out and trade him to New York or trade him to Atlanta or wherever, was he providing some essential piece of the chemistry that's working and will it, how will the dominoes fall from there?
0: Yeah, that's actually a pretty good analogy. And I, I respect that approach. I couldn't do it. Um, that's why I don't go to casinos anymore. There's a few of them around here. and I, they don't, they don't end well for me. I won once on a, like a Tabasco hot sauce <laughs> slot machine. Um, and I've lost every other, every other bet I've ever made. Um, <laughs> but, you know, the NBA to me is too cutthroat of a business for that approach, especially now, especially in the Western Conference. We just saw yesterday the Dallas Mavericks make a trade to once again leapfrog the Kings in the rebuild. And if you keep sitting back mm-hmm. and you keep sitting back and you keep sitting back, you're going to keep having the teams below you leapfrog above you. And we've seen that happen to the Kings so many times during their 12 years of irrelevance. Just thinking off the top of my head of teams that have tanked and rebuilt in the span that the Kings have managed to finally gain respectability in the NBA. It's most of the Western Conference. It's the Utah Jazz. It's the Dallas Mavericks. They're not there yet, but they will, I mean, they're on track to be there before the Kings are. Uh, The Denver Nuggets. A lot of these teams have destroyed what they had and rebuilt something better before the Kings have even managed to get to this point. And the approach of sitting back and waiting and sitting back and waiting. It's like, it's respectable. I, you don't want to make stupid decisions. And, you know, we're not above making those stupid decisions as just people who watch the team from the outside. Like, there's a large portion of Kings fans who wanted the Kings to go out and sign Jabari Parker or, you know, were okay with the Zach Levine sign. Like, I was, I talked myself into Zach Levine once, you know, an hour after the offer sheet dropped. And that would have been uh, a move that was impatient and wrong. So I understand the opposite of pro- approach than what I'm arguing for, which is being safe and being patient. But if you, can tr- if you trust the people in charge, if you trust Vade and if you trust Brandon Williams or whoever you have in your front office, they need to be good enough at their job so they're better than someone like myself. Like I can afford to be wrong about Zach Levine or Kings fans can afford to be wrong about Jabari Parker, but you have to have enough faith in the guys in your front office to make the right gamble. And to me, if Vlade and Brandon Williams can't do anything with this $11 million, then I, then I don't trust them with the, fran- like, with the franchise. They need to be smart enough to use that asset because the Kings have spent 12 years now not using their assets correctly. I'm not saying I know the correct way to use those assets, but whoever's getting paid to do that job needs to be able to do that. And to me, this deadline is another opportunity for that front office to show us, show me, show the NBA, that they're smart enough to handle this correctly. And I just don't buy that there won't be a good move out there for them. I
1: agree. I think that there will be moves to be made. I just wonder also, you know, for you, what is enough for that $11 million? I mean, obviously, I feel like taking on a you know, taking on one contract for a second round pick, again, like a drop in the bucket in our stockpile of second rounders, that wouldn't feel to me like a, a success.
0: I actually agree with you. That was something I was going to bring up later on in the podcast where that's kind of like a, that's better than nothing, but it doesn't make you feel great, right? Mm-hmm. Like I put a list together of guys that could be available for second round picks based on stuff that has been reported in the past or stuff that Lowe reported yesterday And, like, just for an example, I'll throw out someone like Rodney Hood. Like, you can get Rodney Hood for a second round pick. Does that make not doing anything this summer and and using your $11 million in cap space as essentially, you know, taking on a player? Now, Rodney Hood isn't even making $11 million, so that's not a a perfect example. But, I don't know, let's say Darren Collison or something who is making that amount of money for a second round pick. Would he help the Kings this year? Yeah. Is he expiring at the end of the year? Yeah. So it's not a long-term move and you're... Like, if that's how you use your $11 million, I agree with you, that's not enough. But I think, you know, this roster has performed well enough and the coaching staff has coached well enough to put themselves in the mix for the playoffs that I think you owe it to them to at least try. And if you do absolutely nothing with the $11 million to the point where you can't even cash out a couple second round picks to bring in a veteran and at least help the playoff push, I think that's doing a disservice to how, much hard work they've put in this year. So you have to do something. I won't feel great about it, but I think not doing anything is not really an acceptable option to me when those trades, they just have to be out there. I I will not believe that you can't get someone like Jeremy Lin or Dwayne Dedman or all the guys you've talked about this past month. I can't believe that you can't get one of those guys.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Do you want to transition into listing off some of these these, uh, targets that are out there?
0: Yeah, why don't you give me, I don't know, I can either list off some or you can give me some guys that you're, uh, you've you had your eye out that have kind of been rumored available.
1: Yeah, so um, I think that we look at Atlanta probably first as, you know, like we were just describing, you dropped some of their names right then, but, you know, if we're talking about guys that vets you can get for second-round picks or something to the equivalent of that, I think Atlanta's probably the natural first target. Jeremy Lin... Uh, was mentioned by uh, James Ham recently as as a target or a potential target, but uh, for the Kings, he is a legitimate quality point guard who could come in and play some backup to Fox. Um, Deadman can shoot, and he's a solid you know center rotation option. So they got Lynn, they got Deadman. Baysmore is an interesting case. He's got another year on his contract. Or I believe it's a player option actually, but. Almost certainly will pick that up. Uh, I believe it's $18 million. Uh, and then there's also rumors out there that Torian Prince could be made available for the right price. I believe Lowe said it was something like a, a younger player and a pick. And then you got New York as another sort of target for the trade mill. Um, they just acquired DeAndre Jordan and Wes Matthews a couple of days ago now. Um, those are guys that have, it's been speculated, could be bought out, could be moved, you know, turned around and and moved elsewhere. Uh, And as cancer, we had those rumors come around earlier in the season. He's someone who could hypothetically give a little scoring punch and uh, at least uh, offensive rebounding ability. Um, And then there was Frank Nikilakina, was a guy that we have talked highly about but may not be available with all the uh, salary dumps gone from that team.
0: Yeah, all those players I would kind of put in that unsatisfying but I'll take it category where like it doesn't necessarily make up for not doing anything in the summer, but it does give the Kings a real piece to play with for the rest of the year and potentially think about resigning if it works out. I definitely like the Jeremy Lin idea. That would give the Kings a few different options in terms of what they have already. I mean, if you have Jeremy Lin, it gives you another creator and shot finder that you could put on the bench and then move Bogdan Bogdanovich into the starting unit if you decide that Iman Schumpert is never coming back from his slump or if you just decide that you finally want to see what Fox and Buddy and Bogie can do together in the starting unit and even if you do keep Bogdanovich off the bench I do think Jeremy Lin is a much better ball handler uh, and guard option than Yogi Ferrell even though Yogi Ferrell has been he's been okay recently but I do think you know player for player I'll take Jeremy Lin there And I don't know how relevant this is, but Vec Renadive was in the ownership group uh, with the Golden State Warriors when they originally drafted Jeremy Lin, so there is already a a tiny little connection there. And I also think Lin is a great option this summer for the Kings, so, you know, if you go out and get Lin now, you get to see him with the team for a few months and then decide if you want to bring him back in free agency. Uh, Deadman I love as a shot blocker, three-point shooter. He kind of does a lot of the things that we wish Willie Cauley-Stein would do at a much cheaper price. Um, and Wes Matthews is pretty interesting as a guy that you can likely get for absolutely nothing, but either cap space or like, I don't know, one second round pick, his price will not be high. And the Kings are uniquely positioned to go get a guy like that because other teams that might be interested in Wes Matthews would have to send back an expiring contract where the Kings can take most of that money just into space if they wanted to. And I like those players fine enough uh, to different degrees, but to me, that's still kind of like bare minimum deadline stuff. I wouldn't, I wouldn't leave the deadline uh, with any of those players if that's all the Kings did. Like super excited with what Vade was able to accomplish.
1: Interesting. I'd be pretty happy with um, Lin and Dedman or uh, obviously Prince. I'd be happy with. I think that, I think that I could be happy with just a sort of. Uh, expiring vet package, you know what I mean.
0: So, what do you think? Something like, like, let's say they go to Atlanta and they want Lynn, who we know they're sort of interested in, Deadman, who we haven't heard specifically interested in, uh, but we know he's available. What does a trade like that look like to you?
1: Yeah, uh, that's a great question. I mean, so if you you could combine Lynn and Deadman, uh, that's twenty one million in salary. You could trade them Zach Randolph, which is you know. Really, just uh, an expiring uh, matching contract, and then we've got enough cap space that you could do that trade straight up. The money would work. lennon and Dedman for Randolph.
0: You don't think uh, Atlanta's looking for some kind of asset there?
1: Oh no, definitely. I'm I'm just saying that that money works.
0: Yeah. Okay. So
1: at that point, it's about how you know how can we give them value. What would they want? Um, is you know is our Lynn and Dedman, uh Do they feel like? They want a first for that? I don't know. I, I don't know that they need a first for that. I think they will shop right up until the end of the deadline, hoping that someone wants to give a first for Lynn, But he's got $14 million in the books. I don't know how many teams could really take him uh, for that price and and want to be able to – want to still give a first and make the money work. Um, so I think there's a chance that you could, you could package uh, – Randolph with, yeah I don't know, what is it? Two, two, two seconds for Lynn, one second for Deadman, maybe? If you make them our best seconds, maybe they go for that. Uh, I know that's a, that's like, I'm talking best case scenario in my head right now. Um, that's probably a little unrealistic. I think they probably split those guys up and uh, try to get, maybe send Deadman to Philly or something like that and try to get Philly's. They have, a much, they have a very late first-round pick, and especially in this draft, which is top-heavy, I don't think the the Sixers are too attached to that first-rounder. So, you know, if Lane and Deadman can do it for them and they send back uh, Chandler to make their salary work, uh, you know, maybe they get a better asset there. Maybe they want that late first more than three seconds. Or, I, I think it's possible, though, that we could combine second-rounders and maybe they want – maybe this is where we break it out uh, Justin Jackson, uh, or maybe they have some interest in Scal or Frank Mason, those types of players.
0: Lynn is tough for me. He's right on that fringe line between definitely not being worth a first and maybe being worth more than a second or two. I mean, maybe two seconds gets it done because um, Atlanta really has nothing to lose here. Like Atlanta has to kind of move Jeremy Lynn, don't they? So I guess maybe you can can get him for yeah. a second or two. I mean, there's just no point for them keeping him. And I don't think a team is gonna beat that offer with a first. Maybe a team will offer someone as valuable as Justin Jackson, like that kind of young player. But yeah, those ones are hard for me to like construct trades around because I said their value is a little bit weird. But if it's if it's Zach, Zach Randolph and a couple of seconds for Lynn, even forgetting, you know, the Deadman part. Deadman is kinda of icing on the cake. Lynn is sort of the, the real prize there. Um to me anyways, I would certainly Take a look mm-hmm. at that trade. Uh, and the the Knicks, you know, the Ennis Cantor stuff came out. I forget who originally reported that, uh, that, that the Kings were interested in Cantor. That came out, right?
1: It definitely came out. I, I honestly think at some point it was picked up by Woj. I feel like I got a notification on my phone about Cantor to the Knicks, uh, possibly for Zebo And I was just like very confused for a minute. Uh, but then I believe it was walked back and, and uh or at least reported that talks were kind of dead or dying.
0: Yeah, Cantor to me makes sense if you're doing more. Like if you're moving Willie Cauley-Stein out somewhere and then you need a center who will actually play minutes. Because the big thing with Cantor is he wants to play minutes and earn a new contract somewhere. I don't know if he'll get exactly what he's looking for in Sacramento. But being part of the Kings and being part of a playoff push is probably better for his contract, his next contract, than sitting on the Knicks bench and doing nothing, which is the case right now. But deals like this, these ones that are right on the fringe, like the ones where any team can trade a second-round pick for Jeremy Lin, like that's not something that's exclusive to the Kings. Uh, well, they need to trade salaries, so I shouldn't say any team, but that trade will be available for more teams than just the Kings. So that's something to me that would come yeah. down like right before the deadline where the Hawks are waiting yeah. and they're waiting and they're waiting for just a, just a tiny bit better deal to come through.
1: I do think the Hawks are going to move Lynn. I, I think that they are going to make calls basically right up to the deadline for Lynn. And they got caught uh, last year with um, Bellinelli. They weren't able to move, and so they had to just buy him out. And uh, at Muscala, I believe, too, there was two guys that they were trying to move for a second, and they couldn't get it done. So I think that they may have learned that lesson or maybe— feel a little bit burned so they maybe they pull the trigger a day or two before the deadline if they get a deal that they that they like
0: since we're talking about second round picks um i did compile a list here of players who are rumored to be available where the price was either reported as being a second round pick or it should be right around a second round pick Uh, i got rodney hood i got alec burks i got garrett temple Justin Holliday. The Kings can't trade for Garrett Temple, so that one I should probably cross off because they traded him uh, within the last year. Jermichael Green, Corey Joseph, Darren Collison, if the Pacers decide to kind of pack it in uh, after the Ole Debo injury. Don't know if they will or won't. And then um, Terrence Ross and Etuan Moore are my two uh, last second round pick options. Of those guys, I've kind of mentioned his name a few times this year already. I really like Terrence Ross. Um, I'm referencing Zach Lowe's article from last night where he said that The Magic are looking for a first-round pick for Terrence Ross that they probably won't get and may have to settle for two seconds. That's a guy I would just trade for two-second-round picks, no question. I'd even give him three. Um, That's how strongly I feel about Ross, mostly because he fits the timeline for the Kings and he can play over three rotation guys right now. Like, you put Ross on this team, I'd play him over Shumpert, I'd play him over Justin Jackson, and I'd play him over Yogi Ferrell without uh, much question. He will be a free agent at the end of the year, so... That is, you you know, you are paying for somebody that can leave this summer for nothing. But he's 27 years old, could conceivably re-sign him and use him in the future as kind of a versatile guard-wing combo. So if I can kind of put any second-round pick-dump trade on my wish list, getting Terrence Ross out of Orlando would be number one for me.
1: That's interesting. I do see him as a valuable player. I wonder, though if he's not going to want to go or, or the magic would be more uh, inclined to send him to a real championship contender, because he does kind of does those things that most uh, contenders kind of need. Um, and he is turning 28 in three days. So mm. I, I, I guess you're right that he's young enough that it still makes sense, but I guess he's, you know, Shumpert age-ish. And I think like he would definitely be an upgrade with a
0: yeah, to me, Schumpert is like 28 in age, but like 32 in health. He's got a lot of playoff minutes on those knees, and if you can't play back-to-backs, I don't know if I can count you as a as a 28-year-old. And I should also mention that Ross is owed $10.5 million for this year, so it's not as if any contender can just take that contract on. Uh, again, the Kings are uniquely positioned where they have $11 million in cap space, so they can take... Terrence Ross and give the Magic a few second-round picks, and the Magic don't have to worry about taking back players or opening up roster spots or anything like that because the Kings can just take Ross for nothing. Um, but it's also been reported in sort of conflicting reports that the Magic really want to make the playoffs this year, so it's you know it's up in the air whether or not they're gonna just give away Terrence Ross. But if they decide to pack it in and, and go for the lottery again and trade off Vucevic and. You know, maybe they start talking about Aaron Gordon and they want to sell instead of buy at the deadline. Uh, yeah, Ross is number one on my list of, of guys you can probably get for a package of second-round picks. Uh, some more maybe higher-value players that you wouldn't be able to get just for a dump or just for expiring contracts that are kind of at the top of my list. Um, I'll just start off with number one, and that's Nikola Mirotic. That's a okay. complicated player because he's stuck in the Anthony Davis mess in New Orleans. Um, But he's been on the block, according to every heavy hitter reporter out there. Uh, Wojnarowski mentioned him. Zach Lowe mentioned him a few times as being available. The Pelicans are looking for more than what the Kings might be willing to give up. But I like going after a guy like Miritich because he fits great with Bagley long-term, if you're looking at Bagley as a long-term center. Kind of gives the Kings some flexibility with moving Willie Cauley-Stein. And... If they can't get him at the trade deadline, he is an unrestricted free agent this summer. We talked about how much cap space the Kings have heading into the summer. So if the Kings can't make a trade for him now, he's another target I'd like to look at in free agency. But if he is available, and you can get him for a reasonable reasonable price, I'd love to see the Kings kind of audition him for a few months here for the playoff push, see him next to Bagley, see how he fits in the organization, see how he fits in the play style. And if the price is right, I don't know exactly what that price is, Miracic is a guy who's fit, I love, with this team, not only this year, but uh, with a long-term contract this summer.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, I did see that Miracic and Randall, Julius Randall, I guess, scrubbed their their Twitter accounts and oh, really? Instagram accounts of Pelicans King's pictures. Yeah. So, um, and I can't, like, super confirm that because I don't follow, I'm not even really on Instagram, so... Um, but yeah, that's you know that's the vibe. I mean, I believe that the Pelicans have been reported really clearly to be shopping both guys, um, so I have no doubt about that. However, I do wonder. This is this to me feels like not the right fit for the for a trade. Obviously, the fit on the team, like you're talking about, uh, literally on the floor, there would be a great fit. But as far as our direction, I'm not sure it makes a ton of sense. Because the value that Miritich would add to our team for the remainder of his contract, just the rest of the season, is not as significant as it would be for a title contender. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if we're offering a couple of seconds for him, maybe Willie Cauley-Stein, Justin, you know, a smaller asset and a couple of second rounders, you know, that that deal sort of... sort of tops out what we'd be willing to give for three months of his service, you know, mm-hmm. but I think there are other teams that would pretty happily give up the first in order to, to get him in, and in order to solidify, um, you know, a run at the conference finals, something like that.
0: And that has been the price for Miritich, uh, depending on whose reports you believe the Pelicans are looking for a first round pick. That kind of takes me to another trade. I wanted to bounce off you um, that is seemingly out there and that is Houston, who has been trying to unload Brandon Knight for what feels like a year now, uh, and they're kind of offering up their first-round pick to a team that would take uh, Knight or Knight and Chris, who is also available and asked for a trade. And that would that's an interesting option to me for the Kings for a few reasons. One, we've talked about the salary dump for pick kind of trade. That would accomplish that, but it would also allow the Kings to then have a 2019 first-round pick that they can use to move and acquire another player like Nikola Mirotic, although that might be uh, unwise considering he's an unrestricted free agent this summer. But that could be the, the main piece in like an Otto Porter trade or uh, a Torian Prince trade or a Harrison Barnes trade, although mm-hmm. I wouldn't necessarily trade a first-round pick for Harrison Barnes. How do you feel about uh, Brandon Knight, the Houston Rockets offering you a first-round pick, and then what you would then do with that first-round pick?
1: Yeah, I would love to get a first and, you know, especially if it can be used to bring in another player. I put this trade out there uh, a few weeks back on Twitter after I had heard about uh, Torian Prince being available. Um, and it's complicated. So, you know, especially when it comes to these three-way trades, they're, they're, pretty, com- they're pretty complex. But the way that I basically had it working out was the Kings would t- take on Brandon Knight. And they'd also get Jeremy Lin and Torian Prince from the Hawks. We'd send Zach Randolph to the Hawks. Uh, and the Hawks would get Houston's first and a second from us. And then the Rockets would take uh, some matching salary, probably Costa Kufos. And that's it. So they, they're, the Rockets would be getting off at night and they'd be getting Kufos. Uh, they'd only have to give off a you know, very late first. Uh, they get a useful player, and they get off a guy who's going to make thirty-one, thirty-two million $32 over the next two years. That's a huge salary relief for them. They're going to save a ton of money. Uh, the Hawks take on Randolph, but they get themselves a first and a second. And the Kings would have to deal with Knight, but we get Lynn for the short term and Prince for the long term.
0: I like it. That does kind of give all parties what they're looking for heading into the trade deadline. The only part of that deal that gives me pause is just me being curious if that is the best way to use the assets you're getting from Houston. You're essentially taking Brandon Knight and getting that first round pick and using that first round pick to go get Torian Prince. And that means that Torian Prince has to be good. And the only reason why I question if he will or won't be good is that, you know, I follow a lot of Hawks beat writers and bloggers and uh, stuff I've read from Atlanta on Torian Prince this year has not been great pretty highly touted his first few years in the league, but I, I don't know if there's been some regression there, but there is something about uh, and Prince that the, the people that cover the Hawks don't really see him as being a long term piece with the franchise. And maybe this is unfair to Prince, but if somebody isn't good enough to be on the Hawks uh, in the, in the future plans of the Atlanta Hawks, then, you know, are they good enough to be in the future plans of the Sacramento Kings? And that's unfair to some degree because fit matters a lot. Like, a player can be right for one organization and wrong for another. So that's not, you know, the only reason. But th- that's kind of my question mark with, with that trade is, like, is Torian Prince worth that investment? And I haven't watched the Hawks play enough this year to, you know, be confident that he is. Um, with that being said, if that was the offer presented to me at the deadline and it was like, hey, this is what we have for a deal, I would probably take it because I do think the Kings need to take a shot at someone and Torian Prince is a young, big wing, and that's exactly what the Kings need on paper. I just hope that Torian Prince is actually the right guy, because I do think there is some expectation that if you go out and trade for a guy who's about to hit restricted free agency after next season, then you kind of need to keep that player. Like, you invested a first-round pick in him, and, and you took Brandon Knight's contract out like your books for him, and to, to let him go for nothing would be a mistake, and then to... Pay and keep around the wrong player would be a mistake. So that's my only cause of concern. There is is Torian Prince the right player for those assets? Can you get a better wing for those assets? And and maybe you can't, and maybe Torian Prince is the right guy. Um, like I said, I would do it ultimately. But that's my one cause for concern: is is Torian Prince really the right wing for this team moving forward?
1: Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I do. So he is in only the third year of his rookie deal. So you've got him for the rest of this year, all of next year at a small fee of three and a half million, the salary. And then he's a restricted free agent. So you do have up to five more years of, of team control uh, there if you want it. So he, if he is the guy um, you can lock him up long term, and he's only 24, turning 25 uh, in a couple of months here. But he's he fits the timeline. He has shown some very nice things. He's been dealing with injuries this year, and I think a lot of the reason that uh, the Hawks are willing to move on from him is, is he's not the you know this uh, he's not the guy of the current GM. Like once the new regime took over, Prince was the he picked the year before them, so he's not, you know, quote-unquote, their guy.
0: Mm-hmm. You,
1: know you know what I'm getting at here?
0: Yeah, that's totally. Yeah, I mean, so, he's a yeah, I,
1: I Yeah, and uh, I think that he's, you know, they're still pretty clear that they want a first-round pick for him, so I don't think that they're, like, out on him. You know what I mean?
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, some names that I wanted to bounce off you of that have sort of been rumored um, as either available to the Kings or we've speculated could be options for the Kings – One of them is Harrison Barnes. Uh, The Mavericks, of course, made a franchise-altering trade yesterday. Um, And if they're going to add to that core, it's going to be difficult for them to do that this summer in free agency because if Harrison Barnes opts into his contract next year, his $25 billion player option, they only have $10 million in cap space to play with this summer. And depending on what you read out of Dallas, they're not totally sold on Harrison Barnes as being part of that new core with Luka Doncic and Kristaps Porzingis. Um, don't know exactly what the price would be there for him because he's an interesting case where he, he's still valuable on the court, probably not worth his contract, so I don't know if he's going to cost you that much more than salary dump and maybe one not-so-great asset. Um, does Harrison Barnes interest you as a target heading into the deadline?
1: He does. He it- he more intrigues me than interests me. I I really have a hard time wrapping my mind around his value or, or how he's valued by the Mavericks now that the trade's happened. It's a really good question. I I guess I have to look at it just as far as his fit with the Kings. I do think that I'd be pretty pretty darn happy if the Kings had him to, to start at the small forward position instead of, I'm in You know, I, I'm pretty thrilled about that.
0: Yeah, that's kind of how I feel about it too. And the the uh, the cost is actually not that much because I I don't know about you but the Kings have so much money in cap room this summer. I don't think they can responsibly use it all. So they spend 25 million of it on Harrison Barnes for one year. That's assuming he picks up his player option, which could honestly go either way to me. I think he does. But maybe he doesn't. Maybe he opts... Maybe there's a team willing to max him out and and he opts out of his $25 billion option. I wouldn't want to max out Harrison Barnes, but maybe there's a team out there that would. But I would be okay with giving Harrison Barnes one year on this team, that year being next year, if he does opt in, to see if he can be the small forward of the future for this team. And that is assuming the price isn't anything out of our, like, untouchable category, which I don't think the Kings would move anyways. So... If the price is right, that's a guy that I'd be willing to see in Sacramento for a year and a half. I'll put it that way. Like, I'd give him a shot.
1: Man, yeah, I don't even know what the offer would, would be. It certainly wouldn't be any of the uh, the core five, the younger super team. Uh, as you mentioned earlier, there, there's no chance those guys are going. And I'm definitely not including uh, uh, you know a first-round pick for him either, honestly.
0: Another name brought up. Uh, with regards to the Kings, has already kind of been shut down and their interest has been shut down, but uh, Zach Lowe kind of mentioned him again last night as the Kings having interest, but maybe not as much as was originally believed. And that was Marcus Ole, center for the Memphis Grizzlies, who also has a player option for next year, pretty big player option. That's another interesting target like Harrison Barnes where you could probably build uh, an argument either way that would make me believe they should or shouldn't acquire him. Like I could... I could believe a compelling argument that he's a great fit and a great option to have around the team for a year and a half and I could believe a compelling argument that he is uh doesn't fit the system and is a waste of assets and a waste of cap space. But how do you feel about Marcus Soul, a name that has been tied to the Sacramento Kings for the last week or so?
1: It's a gamble because he is older and like a lot older than anyone on our team really. Uh, and his, you know, he's been going through injury stuff. He's missed huge amounts of time to injury. I don't know. Uh, um, you know, our, our friend and, uh, uh, co-contributor, uh, Omer Khan put a great point out there, uh, regarding how, how, if you slot him in at the four in belief, role on the offense and then let him, play under the rim uh, as a five on defense. It actually fits great. He'd be a tremendous fit with Bagley. Uh, although it would be a, a short term thing, obviously Gasol is not going to be playing even, you know, he's definitely not going to be on the Kings in three years. There's no chance of that right? Uh, in my mind. So um, there's, it's a question of does what he brings that short term value, is that worth it? Or should we be looking more long-term? I mean, to me, does if you add Gasol, does that mean we make the playoffs this year or next year?
0: Probably not this I, year.
1: I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't think that he's such a difference maker uh, in terms of how he would fit into our scheme that I don't think he's going to take us above the the Clips and the Lakers and and still that exceed.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. Marcus Gasol is is a tough one, like Harrison Barnes to me, where my interest in acquiring him is entirely dependent on what the price ends up being. Because, you know, I can see the Grizzlies not wanting to trade their former franchise cornerstone like that unless they're getting a real asset, like a first-round pick or better. And if that's his price, then I want no interest in him at all. But if it comes down to Gasol desperately wanting out of Memphis and and we think he does want out of Memphis and we think Memphis is ready to finally move him and if the price is expiring contracts and one minor asset like maybe Justin Jackson or something then sure I think that is a, a worthwhile gamble for the Kings because like I said before I don't know how they're going to responsibly spend all their cap space on the right players and I think Marcus does enough things and is a a good enough fit next to Marvin Bagley that you know I'll take him at the right price but yeah, that one is to me entirely dependent on what the Grizzlies are expecting back for him.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and I think another guy that you could kind of roll into this uh, this category of the Barneses and Gasols of the world is Otto Porter. Even though it seems pretty clear at this point that the Wizards are just going to hang on to him and try to make make a run to playoffs, um, I don't see a huge difference between Porter and Barnes. I do prefer Porter, but, um, I mean, dealing with Ernie Grunfeld and and the Wizards, do you think there's any chance, any light at the end of the tunnel that that he'll be put back on the block in the next couple of days?
0: I don't know. It's hard to tell. Grunfeld and the Wizards are so weird that they could be telling everybody that he's not available just to get the offers better. You know, like, that wouldn't surprise me either. Like, if he is available but the Wizards are just playing hardball right now because they didn't like the offers they were getting for him a month ago when he was, quote-unquote, actually available. That wouldn't shock me in the least. And depending on, again, the sources you want to believe, he seems like the Kings' is number one target. At least that's how Lowe put it in his piece today, uh, or his piece last night. I'll quote him directly here in a second once I pull it up. Lowe wrote, uh, in regards to the Kings... There are non-stars on long-term deals the Kings like enough to sacrifice future space. Porter has been one such player per league sources, and that was the only example that Lowe gave under the category of non-stars under long-term contracts. But I know you you kind of lumped him in with Harrison Barnes there. Uh, to me, you know, I love Otto Porter. He He's my number one realistic trade target out of anybody we've talked about and out of anybody even rumored to be a little bit available. I know there's some questions on if porter is or isn't available but to me you know if you can acquire auto porter without giving up some of those untouchables i would take him 100 percent. that's the guy that i'm looking for more than anybody else if it's at all realistic
1: um that's interesting i i do you know like i said i do prefer porter uh you may like him more than i do but the reason i'm kind of comparing them is they're that small forward, power forward, you know, that combo forward okay. yeah. option with a very similar salary, like perceived by some or most as a slight overpay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they kind of fill the same role. Porter, I agree, is the superior option. But uh, whatever offer, that's what I'm kind of trying to think, you know, whatever offer we would give to Porter, I think if you offer that to Dallas for bonds, deals done. You know yeah. what I mean? I definitely take agree that, that. totally. Uh, I just want to be clear. Regarding what you had said about the Wizards, there's absolutely nothing that they can do that could shock me. I mean, mm-hmm. any trade that if I got, if I saw a tweet right now, if I saw some Wojman right now, it's like the Wizards do this. It doesn't matter what they're like. You, you couldn't you couldn't shock me. Like I, they could do absolutely anything at this point. So it's so hard to tell.
0: I would give up quite a bit for auto border. I wouldn't dip into the you know, the untouchables category, but, you know, depending on what other minor pieces get shifted around, like maybe you get a Sadoransky attached to Porter. So then that might entice you to like go do the Brandon Knight trade and then give your first to, to Washington. Like depending on how the assets shake out, I could be convinced to go out and get Brandon Knight, get Houston's first, move that first to Washington, or even dip into your 2021 first round pick if you protect it in some way and send that to Washington if the asset breakdown uh, kind of works out in the right way. Um, but, you know, and I'd certainly move Willie Cauley Stein or Justin Jackson in any auto-porter deal. But he's the one guy that may or may not be available but has at least been rumored available within the last month or so that I would really, really take a shot at if, if I were the Kings. Is there a player like that, or is Otto Porter that guy for you too? Or is there a different player on the market right now that you would do everything right outside dipping into that untouchable category?
1: Porter's the guy for me too. Yeah. I I mean, you know, because I mean, there obviously are guys out there. Like, I mean, even apparently, you know, Drew Holiday could possibly be gotten for the right price. But that's you know, we're definitely talking about the core at that point. Yeah, you know, like a this type of guy. If if another player that level becomes available. We're definitely talking about the you know, the core plus possibly a first round pick. Um, but going back to Porter real quick, uh, I want to run a couple of trades by you and just see if, if you would take him or take him or or not. Tell me, you know, yes or no on, on this this trade. Uh, Porter to Sack for Shumpert and College Yep,
0: no brainer to me, for sure.
1: Okay, and then Porter and Mahimi. So we got to take on Mahimi's whole deal for Schumpert, Randolph, and Koukos.
0: Definitely. You know I don't mind Mahimi at all? Because once you get Porter, then that's the team I want to see for the remainder of Mahimi's yeah. contract. You know? Like, I'm not worried about taking Mahimi because once you get Porter, I want to see Fox and Heald and Porter and Giles and Bagley with Bogey off the bench. That's the team I want to see anyways. So if you don't add anything yeah. to that, that's for now, that's okay to me because I want to see how far that roster can go. Because to me, Porter's the one guy on the market. And again, he may not be on the market, but I'm going to assume he is for the sake of this conversation and because I don't know what the Wizards are going to do. He's the one guy that makes me go, all right, pencils down, like the roster's set. Let's see what these guys can do first and then we'll add or adjust from there. He's the only guy on the market that does that for me. So to, to getting Mahimi's... You know, Mahimi's contract sucks. I'd rather not have it on the books, but it's worth it to me to to kind of put your franchise at rest and see where these guys can go.
1: Absolutely. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. These were, these were two trades that I threw out there uh, in a trade article back in December when it really felt like Porter was available. Mm-hmm. Um, and people would lose their minds because they think that Porter is so wildly overpaid, which I think is irrelevant for Sacramento, quite honestly, if it's if he's five or ten million dollars overpaid, it doesn't matter because we have proven we can't effectively use our, our free agency space, our cash space. And then like you said, if you're taking on Mahimi but you're getting the team you want, great. Like you're not gonna take that fifteen million dollars that you're having to pay Mahimi and go out in free agency and get that piece to get that team that you that you want. that you that fits your window and all that. I mean, if we're talking best, like this is even better case scenario than best, best case. I had my mind had thought, all right, Porter's off the table, but this is ultra best case. Uber best case is, uh, is a deal like that. Get Porter in here.
0: Yeah. And that's the one thing that the Kings can do that other Porter suitors probably can't do. Like, I think it was Utah who was really interested in Porter. There was one other team that was really, really interested in Porter. I believe it was Utah, um, and I think Dallas was in there too. But those teams, to me, are less likely to take Mahimi off the off the Wizards' hands. Where the Kings, you know, that's, that's a move where you can pat Vlade on the back and say, hey, Vlade, good job not blowing all your money in free agency. It set you up to go get Porter. It set you up to take Mahimi, and no other team can do it. So yes. that's one that's one move I thought can really salvage what was kind of a messy off season.
1: I mean this is I mean if that happens, I am gonna give Vlade a standing ovation next time I see him chewing gum by the the locker room entrance at Golden One Center. Because yeah, this would be fantastic. And you're absolutely right that no one else could take this money. I mean and send back in the scenario we just send back pure expirings, guess what that would do for Washington not only would it put them under the the luxury tax line, it would give them cap space next year, which is shocking. I mean, they'd have, they still have Wall, they'd still have Beal, they have all their ancillary guys, and they could actually sign someone. They could actually go into free agency and have more than their MLE.
0: Yeah, this comes back to, um, in some ways, the Kings being so conservative. They've been so conservative ever since Vade really made that, Uh, unconservative and pretty irresponsible pick swap trade in Philly. And since then, this has been such a conservative front office. And to this point, it's worked out for them. They've collected the young players they've wanted. They've got a nice core here. Um, But now is the time with no pick this year. I think it is kind of time to break away from that approach and start going for moves like this. I know we mentioned it earlier in the show, but going for moves like Porzingis, in my opinion. Man, if the Kings... I'm with you. If the Kings kind of... Put that conservative mindset away and started going for it. I would, um, I definitely support Vlade in a way I haven't since uh, he was a player for the Sacramento Kings. Because I'm still, he's been getting a lot of credit for what the Kings have done this season, and for good reason. I don't want to take too much credit away from him, but I'm still very much on the fence as far as him being the right guy to lead this team now. Like he's got us to this point, great, but does he have the experience to? make a move like this for Otto Porter? Does he have the experience to stop being conservative and start making moves that would push the Kings higher up the standings? I don't know if he does, but if he does something like this here at the deadline, then uh, Vlade, you've you've got my support moving forward.
1: 100%. Um, I have just one last scenario that I want to bring up here um, that I don't think we've touched on. So one more thing that the Kings could do here uh, that only they could do, and this would be another situation where, you know, I really would applaud Vlade for using this cap space correctly and and for good, is targeting Portland. So Portland is over the luxury tax, and they, you know, realistically, they don't have a team that's going to win a championship this year. I think that, that everybody knows that, and it's clear. And they have guys that, could easily, <clears throat> excuse me, in, in one foul soup could get them under the tax tax line and they're not going to lose significant uh, uh, value on their team. Like their team isn't going to lose any less games if they were to dunk, uh Myers Leonard, for example. Um, so this is one situation where if we trade them, say, Scow. Uh, for Myers Leonard and then we ask for we you know we get a first back, whether that is a future first or a super heavily protected first. I'm I think that this is something that we could do. Um and especially if they're willing to part with Mo Harkless, you know, then we could get a small forward and a first round pick for you know, again, I'm being pretty optimistic here, but say we offer them scal and a sequence of second round picks that we really have no use for. And we asked for Harkless back and we asked for, uh, their first round pick this year protected one through 20. Right. So we get a late first, a guy that is still young in our, in our window and plays small forward. Uh, and they get out of the tax completely. They get, uh, a couple second round picks and they get scowl, you know, or they could be Frank if they prefer, you know, they can kind of have their pick of low cost assets. Uh, I think that's something that could actually work.
0: Yeah. I like that for Portland because they're, they're very much still contending or or they think they're contending. And that doesn't really take away anything from what's helping them right now. Like Harkless is in their rotation, but he hasn't contributed as much this season and his numbers are down. So I don't think they're too worried about removing him. Like I don't think that's going to move the needle for them necessarily one way or the other. Um and if it did, I don't think they would do it because I don't think they're interested in taking away from what is already a, a playoff team. Right. But from the Kings' perspective, you know, those kind of moves are are very much stuff I'm on board for is if you can get something for for basically renting out your cast base and for Myers Leonard for as much uh crap as he gets for being Myers Leonard and especially in Sacramento after DeMarcus Cousins owned him for, like, four years. Um, I don't, you know, I'm not expecting to get value necessarily from Myers Leonard, but he's not the the worst salary dump player in the league by far to me. He's still young. He has some skills for a big guy that the Kings don't necessarily have. Uh, so as far as, like, a guy that you're getting in a dump, Myers Leonard would be pretty high on my list as far as still, you know, he's still playable. He's not. Uh, he's not, I don't know, He's not Brandon Knight, you know. To me, I'd rather have Myers Leonard on my team than Brandon Knight any day in terms of like what they can do on the court. So sign me up for that one.
1: For sure. For sure. And I think, you know, interestingly, the Kings have a ton of expiring contracts this year. They don't really have any next year, which isn't a bad thing, but if we were to get Leonard, I think that he just becomes the Costa Kufos of next year. Sure. Where, you know, he makes a chunk of money, um, about ten mil, a little bit more. And uh, he's totally for sale to to fit into any deal. Uh, And if we end up with cap space again next year, which is a real possibility and probably a likelihood, um, then you can try to pair him with the space and do this process all over again.
0: All right. We've been talking for over an hour. We've gone over, you know what the Kings have their assets, their players who in the league is available, some specific trades that could or couldn't happen. Uh, Talked about some players and what their value would be like. Let's kind of get into the deadline. It's coming up on the 8th. What is your prediction for what the Kings do? If you, you know, all the players that are available, all the players the Kings have that are are tradable, all the assets they have, where do you think this ends up, if you could predict a move or two, or, or, you know, what does the roster look like after the deadline passes?
1: Man, this is honestly really tough. This is honestly really tough because... It's
0: an impossible prediction to make. It really is.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's impossible. And at the end of the day, you know, we can talk all we want about what teams should do, but these GMs are all irrational actors. They don't They don't work based on pure logic and numbers. We can look at all this and say, oh, they should definitely go after Otto Porter. They should definitely go after Jeremy Lynn, They should definitely go after Dwayne Dedman. It doesn't mean anything, like at the end of the day, they just may not, you know, they just probably won't do all these things that we think that they should do. Mm -hmm. They have their own set of agendas. They have their own plans and machinations that just don't really line up with reality necessarily uh, for at least as far as we can see. So what am I going to predict here is I think that I will, I will predict that the Kings use the majority of their remaining cap space um, and they send out an expiring or two, probably Ben macamore possibly macamore and Zebo in order to bring on a piece that they feel is something and probably gain or send out just a second round pick. I, I think that it's a very low impact deal.
0: Okay, I'll get a little bit more specific than that, and I'll say that, and I'll kind of set the table for what I'm about to predict. And that is, rumors came out that the Kings were interested in Ennis Cantor and they were quickly shot down. Rumors came out that the Kings were interested in Marcus and it was quickly shot down as, you know, they aren't necessarily that interested in Marcus We've had a bunch of rumors prior to these ones that came out that weren't shot down. One rumor that uh, came out that was not only not shot down, it was then followed up with another report saying, confirming their interest was Jeremy Lin. Jeremy Lin is a player that fits exactly what the Kings are looking for in terms of a backup veteran ball handler. And like we were talking about with the Hawks, he's it very much is in their interest to trade him. There's no reason for them to keep him around. I do think the Kings can beat any offer if that offer is just second-round picks. Uh, no team has as much as many second-round picks. And in as early as this year, which really fits what the Atlanta Hawks are trying to do with their timeline, is add their young talent now. They're very much in the young talent acquisition process. The Kings have three first-round picks in 2019 alone. So if I had to, you know, take all the players we've talked about, uh, all the assets the Kings have that we've talked about, I think the most likely trade in my prediction, if I have to predict one thing, is that Jeremy Lin ends up on the Sacramento Kings in some sort of a second-round pick for salary filler uh, deal here. And if that's how the deadline shakes out for the Kings, I'll be slightly disappointed that they didn't make a more... Swing for the fences deal, but uh, Jeremy Lin is a player that I will happily accept on the roster, and I'll I'd give the Kings like a C minus for their deadline if that's what they come out with.
1: That's interesting. I have like the exact opposite take on that, where I see it as super unlikely that they actually get <clears throat> the guy that I think honestly would be the best um, immediate upgrade for tiny assets for very small second round pick type assets. Mm. And I would give them, like, a, a very solid B if they got Lynn. I just feel like he's going to end up on a really good team for, like, nothing. And it, we're going to all be like, oh, we could have so easily gotten him. We just didn't. Yeah. Um, but hopefully I'm going to reverse jinx it there. Um, yeah, I just, I, I can't walk anything down. I guess I'll take the opposite tack where if I had to predict something, uh, something real, I'll predict that we take... And his canter for Zebo and uh, I will give him a D for that.
0: <laughs> See, Lynn, I agree with you in some ways. In that, to me, Lynn is like an A trade for that kind of trade. But to me, that kind of trade is like a C minus kind of trade for whatever. If that makes sense, like if if you're gonna have but, to, yeah, like if you have to, if your only option is, like. Uh, taking a vet for second round picks is very low on what I want the Kings to do overall. But if that's what you're going to do, Jeremy Lin is the top of my list for that kind of trade. So maybe C- minus is a little too harsh, but that's kind of how I feel about that kind of trade overall. Whereas i much rather see them do something bigger, whether that's Otto Porter or Porzingis and that ship has sailed, um, or like Miratich or something like that. Like those are the kind of trades I actually would like to see them make. Something that would help them now and sort of build to the future in a, in a more impactful way, even though Meritich is an expiring contract. I view him as a guy that hopefully you have some kind of discussions with him prior to the trade going through where it's like, yeah, we're trading for you, but like, wink, wink, we really like you and want to keep you further, you know, beyond this year. You don't have to sign anything, obviously, but just so you know, like, are you open to staying in Sacramento long-term because that's why you're making this trade. Um, but, you know, if it's, if it's not something that impactful, then Jeremy Lin is the top of my list in both the player that I like and also the likelihood that that's the deal that the Kings make. Because, you know, oftentimes you'll see an outside Sacramento reporter report something, and then you'll see a local reporter say, ah, not so much. That happened with Cantor, where James Ham walked back mm. the Cantor interest. But in this case, in Lin's case, it was, you know, the rumor started on a national scale, and then you had a guy local in James Ham come out and kind of confirm the Kings were interested. So... Those together make me think that Lynn is, like, out of all the names we've heard so far, Lynn is a real target for this team heading into the deadline.
1: Yeah, I love it. I hope it, I hope that's how it works out, honestly.
0: All right, Richard. We have officially previewed the trade deadline. Uh, thank you for joining me on the podcast this week. Hopefully, uh, everything we've said stays relevant past, like, a day. Um, I know I originally said maybe I'll post this on Sunday or Monday, but I'm thinking I'll try and edit it now and get it up Uh, Saturday night if you're listening to this podcast Um, because I don't want anything to become super irrelevant because the news is dropping very fast Um, but Richard why don't you tell everybody where they can find you on the internet
1: yes sir I write for Second Royalty with Tony and all the guys obviously please catch us there Uh, I think we put out some pretty amazing content and uh, especially these guys that have been here a lot longer than I have Uh, but please please hit me up on twitter at ivanowski nba that's i-v-a-n-o-w-s-k-i nba uh that's just uh i just love talking basketball with with everyone on twitter love nba twitter so much and uh yeah let's get into some arguments y'all
0: all All right richard we'll talk to you after the break when everything either is great or depressing thanks man (laughs) thank you tony to take the next step. I'm ready for a university that will help me advance in my education and career.
1: A university that will make me feel supported and
0: connected. I'm ready for ODU online. Click this ad or go to online.odu.edu today. I'm ready to take the next step. I'm ready for a university that will help me advance in my education and career.
1: A university that will make me feel supported and connected.
0: I'm ready for ODU online. Click this ad or go to online.odu.edu today.